0: Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of the Indigenous Art Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people from our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Cara Romero, In a fine art photographic practice that blends documentary and commercial aesthetics, Carol Romero of the Chinuawevi Indian tribe creates stories that draw from intertribal knowledge to expose the fissures and fusions of indigenous and non-indigenous cultural memory, collective history, and futurity. Romero has held solo exhibitions in the U.S., the UK and Germany. Her recent group exhibitions include Ourselves, photographs by women photographers at the Museum of Modern Art and Water Memories at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Her public art projects include Hashtag presented in Los Angeles by Indian Collective, Restoration Now or Never with Save the Art Space in London, Desert X in the Coachella Valley. Widely collected, Romero's photographs are in private and public collections, including those in the Denver Art Museum, the Peabody Essex Museum, the Hood Museum, the Minneapolis Institute of Art, the MoMA, the Nelson-Atkins Museum of Art, Los Angeles County Museum of Art, and the Met. Romero was raised between the World Trimoway Reservation in California's Mojave Desert and the urban sprawl of Houston. She is based out of Santa Fe. This was a... This was an interview that I was really looking forward to uh, having for quite some time and uh, her team and we were able to make this happen and so uh, with great excitement and enthusiasm, uh, let's jump into this conversation with Kara Romero. Kara Romero, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plane Questions Podcast. This is really great to have you here.
1: It's really nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh,
1: Would you be able to tell us a little bit about
0: yourself, uh, your background, where you're from, and what it is that you do?
1: Sure. Well, I'm a contemporary fine art photographer, and I was born to interracial parents in the Los Angeles area. My dad is Native American from the Chimewaee Indian tribe, and my mom is Anglo-German-Irish ancestry. They were high school sweethearts. And um, while I was born in the Los Angeles area, my whole family relocated in the late 70s um, to the Chimwevi Valley Indian Reservation, which is located in the heart of the Mojave Desert along the California waterfront of what was once the Colorado River and still is, but is now. a dammed section uh, called Lake Havasu. So our tribe rests on the California waterfront of Lake Havasu at the furthest edge of San Bernardino. Um, I grew up in a pretty typical reservation. Uh, Our family all lived in a pretty small village. We had about 30 homes back then. We've grown to 77 homes in 2023. And um, it was a really good experience. It was, you know, a lot of fishing, a lot of country life. Um, We had a lot of really beautiful, pristine landscape. And so, you know, all of the kids played together and we got to know each other's families in that intergenerational way. My parents split in the 80s. And so really for the rest of my formative years, uh, I went back and forth between my non-native side and public school in Houston, Texas, which was all of the culture shock that you might imagine. And my dad's side of the family on the reservation in Chinweavy Valley for summers and, you know, all of the different school holidays. And I just had this you know, I don't think it's too uncommon to have this like biracial, bicultural experience, um, urban, rural. And so I became uh, pretty worldly at a young age for, uh, I think, most importantly, how natives are perceived off reservation. And that was something that I knew from a really early age, I wanted to Um, fix the narrative of what I considered uh, disingenuous to our lived experience, what I saw in media and academia. And so, you know, as fate would have it, I went to school for first Native studies and cultural anthropology, thinking that I would be a professor of Native studies or maybe write the textbooks that um, I didn't see growing up. And along the way, I fell in love with the medium of photography and felt like maybe this was going to be the voice of how to tell modern and contemporary stories. And I'm still living that life. Hmm.
0: Along the way on that journey, um, what what were some of the, the um, incidents that really drew you into photography?
1: So I think that old adage that a picture is worth a thousand words was part of like the initial um, like compulsion to want to continue to get better with the medium. I felt like I had a way to communicate in so many different dimensions, the things that I felt and experienced um, as a contemporary native person and For me, it began to be almost like this solution to a problem that I had felt for so long. Um, And I think that that was also uh, by nature. I wasn't a great writer, and I felt like words for me didn't hold all of the answers of um, things that I felt and things that I knew um, and had experienced. And I felt like art in general really had this... um, You know, different ability to communicate things that um, I hadn't found before as a young person. And so it really kind of, you know, cracked the universe wide open for me. I think that some of the things that I loved about photography also really were obstacles for me as a young Native person. Um, I think that. Photography has historically and even presently been problematic in our communities. Um, It's been weaponized. It's a tool of exploitation. It's a tool um, that can be used in an inappropriate way in our communities um, in several different ways. And so I think along my journey, some of the existential crises that I had about, you know, loving this medium so much and how can i work within this medium to be in service to my community um, to be the opposite of exploitive to tell a story from within culture to really examine um, what happens when the tool is used from outside of the community those obstacles also became something that made me fall in love with the medium even more And I really wanted to, while sometimes I wanted to quit, I found myself continuing on and um, working through all of those problems in a way where I think I have become in service to my community. And I think that my work gives back
0: along the way, um, we have different influences that come and go through our lives. And I was wondering if you could talk about some of your biggest influences, uh, maybe early on, and what's influencing you today?
1: I think the first person that I would give credit to influencing me was the professor's class that I stumbled into at the University of Houston. And his name was Bill Thomas. And I had never had a camera that had manual settings. I actually had to borrow a camera to be able to take the class. And I found myself in this really uncomfortable outsider position where um, a lot of the young people at university had already had a lot of experience and kind of flaunted that experience in the medium. But Bill was much more Practical, and he was much more interested in content uh, over technical ability. And while I had a long way to catch up technically with the other students, telling stories became very easy for me. And he made me feel special. The way, you know, certain professors and certain teachers can give you a belief in yourself that, you know, maybe this is something that you're really extraordinary at. And so Bill changed my life. And he really set me on a path for helping me understand the power of photography to tell story and that I had a lot to say. And I think from there, you know, I did what 21 year olds do and I ran off to art school. I I decided right then that this is what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I came to Santa Fe on full scholarship to attend the Institute of American Indian Arts. And that Experience being at IAI is such a special one because um, it's the only place where they have this course curriculum around our native art history. You know, so you can go to school for art history and photography, you know, at any university in the country and get a great education. But you're not going to learn about the great Native American photographers and artists that came before you
0: anywhere else.
1: Like the way that when you go to the Institute of American Indian Arts. And so um, I can remember very clearly uh, seeing pieces by Zig Jackson. I remember meeting and being um, especially enamored by Lee Marmon's work. Um, And I loved uh, just, you know, Lee made beautiful prints. Um, They were just so spectacular uh, aesthetically, but he also had like really good sense of humor as did Zig. And so I think that those two really early on, I thought, you know, this is the way we are is we're humorous right? And we have our ways of joking that only we understand, you know? And so I think that those were big influences. Um, Outside of Native culture, I've always been especially um, admiring of Annie Leibovitz. Uh, I've always loved her use of lighting and um, the way she uses light to bring out the editorial quality of portraits of people. And so I think um, in the way that I often kind of fell in love with her people that she was working with, I have a same um, aspiration is that I want people to uh, see my Native friends and family in that light that makes them you know, feel more human and, you know, maybe fall in love with them a little bit. So those were probably my major influences.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. Well, let's let's talk about um, how you've developed your career, uh, both in college and in post-college.
1: So when I started out, it was all black and white film in the late 90s. And uh, it was a beautiful process. You know, it was really... Um, Honing in on the mathematics and fractions of light, and there was this mad science to the chemistry in the dark room, and you know, watching everything emerge. Uh, There was a whole culture in the dark room at the Institute of American Indian Arts, and anywhere that I ever practiced darkroom photography and. It was fun. Um, we would just get lost in the dark for hours and come out with these, you know, beautiful silver gelatin prints. And when I graduated from fine art school, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Um, I was really lost uh, as far as you know, graduating from school and not understanding how I was going to survive in this world as an artist. And I don't think that my skills were quite there yet. Um, And I felt like I also, you know, wanted to continue pursuing formal training. And I was also right at that transition in the industry from film to digital. So I like almost quit and I was like, I think I need to go to school for something else. And I had some, you know, key people in my life that, I appreciate so much saying, you know, you're a photographer and this is what you want to do and you need to stay with it. So I was in Oklahoma at the time. My first husband was Muskogee Creek and uh, there was this um, vocational school in Okmulgee, Oklahoma called OSU Tech. They call it in Oklahoma, Okmulgee Tech. And while it wasn't on the dream list of institutions to attend, I picked up their catalog and I looked at this vocational degree for, it was an applied science degree in photography technology. And their curriculum had everything that I wanted to learn. Um, Here again, I already knew, like I had the storytelling part, but it was the technical. And so against a lot of people's advice and, you know, thinking that I should go on to pursue a different type of degree. I doubled down and got a vocational degree in photography technology. And this was um, ahead of the curve. This was in, you know, 2003 and it was Photoshop and it was InDesign. And it was also, we were still using film. So it was large format, medium format. It was strobe lights. It was Um, advanced photo illustration, editorial portraiture, photojournalism, sports photography. Like we learned everything within these three years at the applied science degree. And for that, I'm ever forever grateful. I remember there were times when I would think to myself, if I can do this in the middle of Oklahoma, I can do this anywhere. <laughs> you know, Sometimes we were, you know, going around, um, on the farm trying to figure out, you know, what to make photographs of. But I think I look back at that time of life very fondly. Um, I moved back to my reservation after my first son was born and worked for my tribe for several years and found myself back in Santa Fe. Um, at that time, really committed to doing the Indian market, both here in Santa Fe and in Phoenix. And this was a pivotal moment for me because I had committed to doing Indian market no matter if I fell on my face or did well or didn't do well. It was uh, something more I considered a labor of love and wanting to be a part of an artist community um, that I thought was the greatest in the world. You know, I feel like Indian market is almost like ceremony. Like, you know, we go to, I I know I'm not from powwow culture, but we go to powwows and we don't go there to make our money back. You know, that's how I think of Indian market and the herd Indian market, that there's a ceremonial aspect to it, that we all, you know, bring our best artwork to one place and get to see each other one time a year. What that did for me was it um, allowed me to create pieces that I was really proud of within my own community two times a year. And so I found myself creating a couple of pieces twice a year. And before I knew it, after 2011, three or four years later, not only did I have this crazy wonderful portfolio um but it was also made for my own community and they were large fine art prints um the smithsonian picked up my first set in 2015 and i really feel like from that moment on it just continued to take me further than i ever imagined you know, where I'm in so many museum institutions, um, I guess, you know, even internationally now, but, uh, I don't know, it just took me further than I ever imagined.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. So as this is progressing, um, as you're moving through your career, uh, opportunities present themselves and, uh, whether we're at the beginning of our careers or uh, mid-career as we are now, opportunities come in different types of ways. And I was wondering if you could speak to that, um, how, uh, how they present themselves to you.
1: So that's a great question. I feel like I have never said no to anything. And I think that that's really important Um, One of the things that they never taught me in school that I've had to kind of like learn through uh, the school of hard knocks is that there's a time in your career where you are considered an emerging artist. And there's no set time for when you go from being a emerging artist to mid-career. Right. And I attribute a lot of that trajectory to just being available, trying everything, um, being kind to everyone. And sometimes that meant that I had to do the hardest thing, which became one of the greatest things, which was invest in myself, And invest in the artwork. And I think at the very beginning, um, you know, it takes a long time to start seeing a return financially on artwork. And I think we equate that with not being successful. But I think now it's just like part of... It's part of what we do as artists is that we have to create work that's, you know, available for exhibition in museums. And we have to, you know, establish trusting relationships with galleries and we have to most importantly, continue making good artwork and nothing works unless you're continuing to show up with new artwork, continuing to be thoughtful. Um, And for me, I don't worry too much about creating artwork for a specific commission or, you know, where it's going to go. I work much more intuitively and I think everybody's got kind of their own rhythm and relationship with their creative process. But I really look back on the work and I categorize it later. And I feel like that question of how opportunity arises is for me operating in this realm of faith, you know, like if you make the work, it's going to find its home or, but nothing works unless you're making the work, you know? And I feel like I have to, you know, push through, um, you know, creative obstacles, uh, maybe works that, you know, don't quite hit that high mark, but if you don't push through, um, you know, all kinds of different ideas, you never know when you're going to strike that chord and, you know, make the masterpiece or make, you know, one of those like epic anthems that, you know, resonates with a lot of different people in your community, you know. And so I think that that becomes like this, um, this thing that we're always chasing as artists is, you know, when can I make that next greatest piece that, you know, so many people in my community love. And so I think that, you know, opportunities, you never know where they're going to come from. You have to be nice to everyone. Um, I think it's very much about relationships. You always have to give above and beyond what people are expecting. So no, no cutting corners. And I think it's so hard to be an artist. I think some people think it's so easy, but I think it's actually one of the most stressful, crazy jobs that you could ever try and do, but so worthwhile. So
0: hundred percent agree. Absolutely. agree. (laughs) Um, You you mentioned something about uh, when you're creating a piece and it starts to feel like it's really coming along. Um, Where about in your process, uh, when you're creating something that you realize that maybe this is something a little different and very exciting um yeah
1: so there's different stages to photography um i describe it in kind of three different phases where i think that thing that you're talking about can happen in any one of the phases but the first is the actual production and mind you i'm staging um these pieces so it starts in my imagination and sometimes it's like a flash in the mind's eye and I'm trying to apply story to, you know, these figures that are tumbling through the water, asking myself, like, what does this mean? And sometimes you can know you're on to something when you have this like beautiful image in your mind and you can say, this is what that means, you know, and If you can layer more content into that, it allows for more interpretation and more people to bring their own experience to that particular, you know, imaginative image that's in your mind. So that's one point where I would think, you know, I'm on to something, right? I'm on to something where I can connect with people and we can tell a story of maybe like a common struggle. You know, you're from a really different tribe than me, but we have things in common, you know? And so those are moments that I get really excited. In the production, that is probably my favorite, like most analog space. It's still where we're, you know, working with color, you know, everything is alive. We're creating space. I'm looking at design. I'm trying to, you know, nail that composition that was in my mind. And, Uh, sometimes it feels like everything just comes together. And when everything starts to come together, I feel like the art wants to make itself, you know? And I think a lot of artists have where they're like, I'm just going to hold space, you know? And there's something really important about holding space for the art that wants to happen. And I feel like if you're in the most spiritually in tune and in this like creative you know other world like it begins to kind of maybe like translate through you or something like that it's really a profound experience that would be um maybe a second phase and then finally you know in photography whether it was on negatives or it's on the computer screen, you're still looking through all of these contact sheets. And there's one that, you know, even if it's just like the size of a stamp, it just jumps off the screen or it jumped off of your contact sheet when we were using film and you can instantly see like there's something special about this. I think in moving film, they say like, it used to be like one one foot per a hundred feet. And I think it's, you know, probably one in a couple hundred images, you know, that's just like, this is worth pursuing or, you know, this is the one where I want to take it into post-production. And post-production can be painterly. It can be its own creative universe. You know, if you start with a really good foundation of an art piece that you're working with, um, it's going to look great anyway, you decide to actually present it, you know? And so you have really critical decisions to make. And sometimes I'll have three different mock-ups of how I'm going to, you know, treat a piece and we'll have debates around the house and things like that about, you know, which one somebody likes more, but ultimately it's my decision, you know, whether it's going to be in color, is it going to be in black and white? And um, I think that's the final Like when you know you're on to something and sometimes they end up better than I could have ever imagined. So
0: that's so exciting. That's so exciting. So what would you say to the 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this conversation?
1: To the 18 to 22 year old, if uh, they're native, I would say don't give up. I would say that if you're wanting to tell, you know, your own story in your community, if you're wanting to be an artist, that we have a wealth of content yet to be told and that we are the most appropriate, best storytellers of our own knowledge and people that are out there skills take a long time to catch up and you have to like hone in on your craft. And so a lot of times when I work with students, I show them like really bad work from the very beginning, you know, because you can see the progression, right? And I think young people now are living in this world of you know, everything's perfect in the things that we share in social media. And that's impossible to live up to perfection. Um, I still have failures. I still get rejected from grants. I still, you know, don't make every show. I still have productions where things didn't turn out the way that I hoped that they would. But most of the artists that I know that are doing this for a life are far more interested in the spiritual process of making Um, And everything else will work itself out. I think that not enough 18 to 22 year olds are told that art is a fine pursuit, that it's a really worthwhile pursuit in this life and it can take you further than you ever imagined.
0: That's that's a great point. So what do you have going on right now? What's what's coming up for you?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, I'm really excited about a couple of upcoming shows. Um, some of the smaller, not small ones at all this year, um, and I'm looking at 2024 already, uh, are going to be a small show at the Ghost Ranch here in um, the Santa Fe area in northern New Mexico. I have a big solo show opening up at the Museum of Photographic Arts in San Diego um, in April of 2024, which I'm really excited about. And then really what I'm like, my my whole life is centered around for the next 15 months is I have my first major solo show opening up at the Hood Museum with my first ever art book that comes along with it full of essays and everything that I've done for, um, you know, the past little over a decade. So all of, all of it, um, is really going to culminate. And that show from the hood is going to travel to four places here in the United States and then four places overseas.
0: Congratulations. How exciting. That is Thank very you. That, is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. that is awesome. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: I'd like to get Plains Art Museum added to that list. Yeah. Right, <laughs> where, where <I> work. Yeah. <laughs> so, where where can the listener uh, find your work? Where can they connect with you or your work? So,
1: I have a website um, that we manage here in studio. It's a uh, cararomerophotography.com. And um, I also have a studio and gallery here in the Santa Fe area. So, if you find yourself here in Santa Fe, um, certainly make an appointment and come by and flip through the racks and see whatever I have on exhibit here in the studio. And it's um, just me and a couple of interns from the Institute of American Indian Arts answering those questions. So feel free to write through the form submissions and we'll get back to you if you have any questions.
0: That's great. I'll put a link in the show notes for the listener. Okay. Thank you so much for this. This was a delight having you on the podcast.
1: It was really nice to be here. It's so nice to be able to see you while we're having this conversation. And thank you for all of the thoughtful questions. That was fun to share.
0: And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Kara again for her time and sharing her story with us. Kara is such a great example of someone who has put in the time and the effort to create a process that looks so amazing. Kara is an extremely talented artist with a with a fantastic eye and a sense of design but on on top of all that uh, what you see in her work is years of experience and experimentation and a willingness to always learn something new and to keep coming back at it and as uh, someone who has decades and decades of work ahead of her uh, you see in the work that she has put in now decades of of work and experience and success in that work. I was lucky enough to be in Santa Fe this summer and to be able to see her work at Art Market and I I could not, uh, I I can't describe in person uh, the brilliance of color that she has in her work and so if you have the opportunity to see her work in person, it is absolutely worth the trip and the effort. And for her to be able to share her time and her experience with us um, is such an honor. And it was such a treat. Uh, someone who, who works so hard at not just her craft, but at um, sharing her work with all of us. Uh, it, it, I'm just, just very pleased that, that she was able to, her, that she and her team made this happen. So uh, to her and them, thank you so much for, for this effort. This was, this was really great. I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please, join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on our Facebook page, our Instagram page, at 5 Plane Questions Podcast, or at the planesart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. Well, that does it. You take care, and we'll see you next time.